The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Thunder Buddies and Travellers Down Thunder Road. It is us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway. Coming to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. I am your host, your Punxsutawney Phil, upon Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I am joined by my ever-faithful co-host, Lee Two Times Malone. Lee, how are you? I feel like Bill Murray in this uh, situation. Ah. Well, it finally happened. What a year plus of episodes in, and we finally lost one. Um, and what anybody... an episode it was! Like, oh. absolutely our best. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, oh my god. So obviously, I think anybody who listens to podcast on the regular knows that. I, I think, and somebody said it to us on, on Twitter at WCW Thunderpod. They said you're not really a podcast until you've lost an episode that was a really good episode, mm. uh, and that's what happened. And it's a shame, like our podcast is episodic and not kind of just a conversation or anything like that. That we do have to re-record it, but we this is our second bite at the cherry for for Thunder episode twenty two, uh, two hours plus we did on the last one. <laughs> <sighs> And you know what? It wasn't even that we lost it. I, I can live with the losing it. It was yeah. that we lost it literally at the last. What yeah. we had? What maybe a minute left before Lately, signing we, off. We had everything but the Twitter plugs done, and my computer crashed, which has happened before. Yeah, um, but the new wrinkle that had been added to this conundrum was that I rebooted the computer, um, and then kind of once I reboot the computer the first thing I do before we finish off the show is I will recover the project that was lost audacity has a nice project recovery feature so I'll recover the project save the project and then start a separate recording for the rest of the show and then stitch them together afterwards in post production but what happened on this occasion was literally as the progress bar was ticking along for the project to recover my pc crashed again and lost the recovered file um, so we have Lee talking to himself for two hours <laughs> somewhere in the internet ether. Uh, but my... I, I, I still have that file. <laughs> yeah, I still have it on my Google Drive from when you sent it to me. And as I said to you off the air, I had contemplated trying to just like do a very reactive, <laughs> just just l- listen along to yours and record me responding to what you were saying and see if anyone would notice that's what I was doing, but as you say, I would have driven myself absolutely mad trying to do that. 
To be fair, I don't think I could respond to myself. Never mind. Anyone <laughs> <laughs> else. Um, but yeah, oh, I tell you, at least we have a great episode to uh, talk about. Yeah. Twice. That's like, yeah. <laughs> thank God I have um, a laptop as well as a PC because Lord knows I'd already be covered in flop sweat if I was uh, watching the progress bars on my PC again this week. So. The laptop should hold up. If you hear this, we didn't kill each other because my laptop broke as well. Um, <laughs> if this never gets released, we're just cancelling the, the podcast. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I have it in me to do it a third time. I know on my other podcast, Link to the Cast, I think there was one we had to do three times. Um, and yeah, but, I, I swear to God, I was just incensed. That was probably Mark's fault, though. Uh, well, that's what I'm going to say. Anyway, <laughs> you're going to have to prove it in court otherwise. Um, but yeah, change of recording situation, change of venue as well. I'm not in my usual office environment, so it feels a little bit weird. I'm, I'm house-sitting at the moment for the last couple of days before I hopefully fly out to Oberhausen in Germany for 16 karat gold this year. Um, the- uh, I'll just... But judging by the, uh, all the cancellations in the last couple of hours, it'll yeah. just be the fans there. I may actually get a spot in the tournament at this rate. I mean, James, he loves himself some ambition. He might actually win it this year. <laughs> he may win it by default. <laughs> but yeah, the, no, the, it, the Irish Twitter mob, the only shooters that actually make it to Overhead. <laughs> um, I know we talked about it privately with uh, our group chat. Saying like, yo, maybe it might not go ahead, it could be cancelled, blah, blah, blah. This was, what, two weeks ago we started talking about this with yeah. the coronavirus outbreak. Yeah. And the fact, still... that, the fact that it's come down to, what now, three days before he's all fly out? Two days? Yeah. Uh, two and, days. I, I um, will be, I will, from the time we're recording, I will be there 48 hours from mm-hmm. now, pretty much exactly. And now, only now, are we starting to see the cancellations. Yeah. It's yeah. not great. No, it's not great. Um, I, I'll tell you what, though. I once the thing still goes ahead, my my anger will be at a quite low level about these cancellations happening last minute. Mm. Um, if it gets to tomorrow, or if it gets to worst case, me already being in Germany, um, and it gets cancelled, it will be a whole other level. Um, well, and I mean, you'll always have Bilderberger. Yeah, I'll always have Bilderberger. There won't be many queues there if all public gatherings are uh, are, are are shut down across Germany. Um, and I'll be bringing the recorder so that I can come up with some very colourful language to describe my uh, my my rage at that. But look, fingers crossed, we get there and we get back and everything like that. I'm 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 <laughs> maybe foolishly so, but I, I'm optimistic about it. If there's one nation in the EU I I trust to have their shit sorted when this kind of thing happens, it's it's Germany. Um, selfishly I'm just hoping that uh, Scrapper Mania goes ahead in what two weeks time yeah and the Irish don't give a shite like. yeah did you, did you see the Minister for Health only came out this evening and was like ah, sure why would we cancel St. Patrick's Day should be grand yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> exactly you know it's a, there's a famous Tommy Tiernan is a famous stand up comedian from Ireland and he has a bit about Irish people and, and fire alarms and it's like they, if you hear a fire alarm go off, like the most Irish people do, is like look around, and if they don't see a fire, it doesn't exist. I actually um, you just you just look both ways in the hallway. Ah, sure, you can't see. Yeah, 
I, I remember when the fire alarm used to go off in school, the joke used to be everybody would feel the walls and go, ah, the walls are still cold. We have a while yet, lads. Ha ha ha. So yeah, that just describes the kind of casual Irish attitude towards everything. Um, but yeah, look, let's let's move on and, and talk about some thunder again. But before we do that, we, we need some strong beverages to get us through our, our second swing at the plate here. Uh, what have you got this week, Lee? You may have heard this before, Dave, but I think it was on the post, our first show post-Christmas, I said right. I was fully on board with the whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what? I've got a beer tonight. <laughs> yeah, you have. Absolute coward. <laughs> oh, yeah. Listen, I'm a man of my word. I stick to what I say. <laughs> and I am enjoying a nice ice-cold Lagunitas ale. Ooh, yes. You did inform me that you did a Lagunitas run. Yes. Uh, last so this, week. This, this is actually the last one oh. because they have been quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't so, lasted long. So they haven't they, lasted long. I actually had to run out because I, I wasn't factoring in my change of venue for recording last night. So on my way over here, I had to run out and buy a single solitary can of beer. Oh, uh, you're that guy. Yeah. Well, I had to because it's like I'm not actually going. I'm, I'm going from here in the morning to work and I'm not bringing the rest of the cans did, in the four for ten offer into my job as a youth worker. Did, did you ask them for a brown paper bag for your single can? <laughs> no, I didn't. I just popped it in the jacket and pretended it didn't happen. You but, can never go back to that shop. No, no. Tesco in Nace. Well, thankfully, they weren't very judgy. Um, <laughs> so I have, uh, courtesy of the 8 Degrees Brewing Company, the Session, uh, the Irish word for session, easygoing IPA, which the can describes as crisp, refreshing, with aromatic hops. So let's have a go with this. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. It's uh, it's it's very much like it's it's the gentleman's three of beers. I think it's um, it's one of those where all I'm getting off it is like a like a grapefruit. You know that that right, seems, yeah. seems to be the popular thing amongst a lot of uh, IPAs now. So that um, sounds like a totally average beer. Yeah, like I said, yeah, gentleman's three is what I'd give it. Um, the one I had. On the the first attempt at this program was much nicer, uh, which I may post at WCW Thunderpod. I might, I might post that at some stage. I can't remember the name of it now, but I know it was from Galway somewhere. Um, a much nicer beer for what will probably end up being a much superior podcast that no one will ever hear. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> but look, let's do our let, let, let's try our best anyway. This is Thunder episode twenty two, dated June twenty fourth, nineteen ninety eight, coming to you from the Arena in Orlando, Florida. Thunder on the coconut loop at last. Um, we've got some big box office announcements to start this show, Lee. Not only are we on the coconut loop. Stagger Lee is back. I'd say you were delighted, Lee. We thought we'd said goodbye to him on the program. Yeah, I thought he was just going to be on the phone and from, from here on out. But from, from the internet location. Great to see that beautiful face back. <laughs> that, that beautiful man has returned. We also immediately, and this goes to show how we are at, like, we are at the, the fever pitch of Goldberg mania that before anyone has even shown up on the show... The commentators are just doing their rundown of what's coming up and already thunderous Goldberg chants are echoing throughout mm-hmm. the arena. Uh, we also get to see that 
uh, from what the commentators are saying, they've finally seen this mysterious press conference, uh, which was alluded to plenty last week. I tell you what, I I can't wait to see this press conference that was built up all last week. Yeah, it's a great night for the sport, Lee, I've got to say. Lee says, Carl Malone, the mailman himself, had never seen anything like the crowd assembled at this fake press conference, which you will note, Lee, is a lie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Who who do you think was in the crowd? Do do you think they actually bothered having anyone there? After was there. And I I, I 100% would say after was there. Just after on his own. After and plants. Do you, now, do you um, mean plants from an office or actual plants? A little bit of both. Or like, uh, you know, the famous uh, Tom Zenk line on uh, on Wrestling Observer Live, a bunch of people dressed as chairs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That'd be very WCW. Yeah, so Tony attempts to plug Bash at the beach at the top of the show like the professional he is, but like the unprofessionals that the company is, he gets interrupted by the NWO team, which I think is a is a perfect WCW in microcosm thing. An attempt to do something that's a good business decision steamrolled by the NWO. Yep. Um, <laughs> the giant is out with sunglasses, a cigarette, and Vincent. So he's just like adding little bits to his act here or there. We and- had the cigarette for the last couple of weeks. And really, the worst thing of that part of that act is Vincent. Yeah, by some distance. And putting in the least amount of effort, which is something considering sunglasses are a stationary item. <laughs> um, and cigarettes will kill you. <laughs> Giant begins with the incredibly witty line of asking what Sting is smoking. See what he's done there. Uh, saying that Sting stole the tag belts from him. Uh, during this promo, Lee, it reminded me very much of, you know, like when you unlock your phone um, to take a picture and you have it in front of you, and it goes straight to the selfie cam, and you see, like, right underneath yourself, where you look like you have about 40 chins. Yes. That's basically what the camera was doing during this promo. It was, like, an (laughs) uncomfortably close at quite a low angle to the giant during this. Uh, I didn't care for it at all. The camera, Some of the camera work on this show is just flat-out shoddy, isn't it? Yeah, it's not even like they're trying different things. I think it was just bad. (laughs) Uh, he says Sting is teaming with a big spoon, referring to Kevin Nash, who isn't here tonight. Now, Lee, this is the point at which I think this may be the third time we've had an episode uh, or a pay-per-view where Nash has been referred to as a big spoon. So I- I'm thinking this is some sort of in-joke that I don't get. Some sort of rib with the boys. Yeah, I mean, we were saying like um, it could be that it's referring to himself and Hall as Big Spoon, Little Spoon. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because he stores things backstage. That's why he's a Big Spoon. Yeah. And what was the other reason? There was another one we, we had come up with. I can't remember what it was. So, was it something to do with him being like treated differently, like a Silver Spoon sort of situation? Oh, yeah, the Silver Spoon kind of thing. Yeah, where he came in and just got special treatments yeah. ever since he came in. Yeah, so who knows, really. I don't remember reading in um, Death of WCW anything about him getting the, the Spoon nickname. Was there anything in that Nitro book, either? No, nothing that I can recall. Yeah. It's a while since I read it, so... Yeah, if anybody knows the, the Nash Spoon thing, if that actually was a thing, uh, send us a tweet there. It, it, it's Thunder a bit Bug. too overly subtle. It's not like when Nash would you know, come out and just blatantly say he was a fan of Asian. or eat, What was it, eating Asian? Yeah. <laughs> Nash, no stranger to the subtlety hammer, that yeah. must be said. 
Um, so Giant says he'll challenge Sting and a mystery partner for the belts tonight. And I, I look, it was very early in this show for me to lose the plot altogether, and I lost the plot watching it. I lost the plot the first time we talked about this segment, and I'm still I had forgotten until I read this in my notes again as we were recording this. All of a sudden, people can just book themselves and mystery partners in tag team title matches. It, it it feels like it's been an eternity since the two people who are both theoretically the tag team champions have defended the belts together. Yeah, I, like what is going on? It, it's weird. Like, like you say, like we we've had a singles match for the tag belts. Yeah, we've. I think on Thunder, we've yet to find out for sure who Sting's actual partner is. I think it's mentioned during the show that he actually chose Nash. But Nash couldn't even bother showing up to Thunder. So now Sting will just choose someone else. Yeah. It just, it, it's fucking, it's weird because like when you think of WCW, tag team wrestling is something that you would associate heavily with yeah. WCW. Yeah. They just, it, it like... They're doing some decent stuff here or there with, like, the Cruiserweight title and the US title. But, like, by and large, like, already I'm seeing a lot of trivial booking decisions involving Mm. belts, which, like... Jesus, it's one of the things that has really, like, worsened over time in professional wrestling. I think this... the, the, The kind of lessening of how protected your belts are... Um, and I don't care for it, you know. I'm not somebody who's like cornet levels of precious about protecting the business, but like if you have championships, make they them worth should, something. Yeah, they should be worth something. They should be treated as a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like I should be. If the opening segment on my thunder is saying that the tag team titles are going to be defended tonight, that should be an inherently exciting thing. Like, do you remember around this time or a couple of years thereafter, the odd time on Raw that you'd hear the WWF title was being defended and it felt like such a huge deal? Mm-hmm. Um, like, the, the, the one I always go back to is uh, Jericho Triple H, where Jericho had the Phantom title win. Ah, yes, yes. Was that, that, like, that, was, that was, was a huge deal. Where was that? Or was it Pittsburgh? I think it was Pittsburgh, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And, like, that that was such a huge deal. I, I think I remember, like, that show did, like, a monster rating as well. Yeah. Um, but, like, then you compare that to this. Like, this was only two years before that. Like, a tag team title match, that should have been, like, right, I know it's a tag team belt, so they're not as prestigious as the world title. That's fine. But still, like, it's a perfect main event for a Thunder. Yeah. And it really should. We really should be excited about it. But I'm just like, this This partner thing just has me fucking bored of it already. Mm-hmm. Like, you could have just had it as a non-title match with these guys. You know, at first I was kind of thinking earlier in the show, I was like, oh, is it because they need to get the belts off them and move them back to the NWO? But as we'll talk about later on, nope. Mm. <laughs> that couldn't have been the case. Um, speaking of tag teams and horrible shite, Raven and Sick Boy versus the Public Enemy is our first match on the program. Um, as Public Enemy are coming out, Heenan is saying that uh, people are so excited for Bash at the Beach that he heard a blind man ordered it uh, in the start of what was another great night for one Bobby <laughs> Heenan on commentary. Yeah, he ha- he had a good night, all right. I'm, I'm hopefully we remember all his good lines. <laughs> uh, Raven says that he knows uh, you're out there, referring to Canyon, waiting to end his career. He informs Public Enemy, who were already 
who had already brought tables to the ring that this was now a Ravens rules match. And my question for you, Continuity Malone, <laughs> is if it's Raven Ravens rules, like, oh, right, okay. So I have two questions. Two questions, right? The first question is, why would him announcing this being a Ravens rules match be such a shock to the ECW guys who brought a table with them already? And question number two then if it is a Ravens rules match, why do they do the first half of this match adhering to normal tag rules? Okay, so <laughs> this is that you're, you're you've got the facts from Mick Lambros. Oh yeah, I have the the contract here in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, I mentioned before where you know Raven negotiated his very special one-off contract with Mick Lambros, and that all his singles matches will be contested under Ravens rules. So this is, I think this is the, probably the first time Raven has actually been in a tag match. So Raven has to clarify to Public Enemy, who may not be aware, that this is in fact under Raven's rules. Because not only is it under uh, singles matches that are under Raven's rules, it is all of his matches that fall under Raven's rules. Because he is in fact Raven and they are his rules. <laughs> so he's just doing his due diligence, really. Oh yeah, it, it, like from a legal standpoint, he must inform his opponents because god forbid something bad were to happen he needs oh, god to, like, forbid like he couldn't have like wcw or raven being sued yeah um so <clears throat> rocco eventually like it so it starts off like i said <laughs> and what was the second question oh yeah sorry yeah so if it's raven's rules why are they adhering to tag rules for the first half of this match staying on the corner very politely and waiting for tags oh well see that's down to the referee because the referee has a very clear job to do this is a tag team yeah. match yeah so it's you know there, chaos. there must be clear tags this is like this is in mexico you don't you know have lucha libre rules here just it may be raven's rules but still a tag team match yeah very much like the, the we'll, we'll call this the the walter sobchek rule uh, Walter Sobchak from Big Lebowski here says this is not Nam Smokey it's bowling yeah, there are rules the rules yeah like this is wrestling <laughs> there are rules yeah when Raven says Raven's rules means there are no rules he really means there are no rules within the parameters of professional wrestling oh um, yeah like the, the, any weapons are allowed and chairs are encouraged but you know you hold the tag rope come on <laughs> yeah hold the tag rope you're not a fucking savage at the end of the day um <laughs> So yeah, they they adhere to normal tag rules for a while, during which Rocco gets a hot tag, uh, cleans house. Fucking hot uh, tag. Yeah, I mean, lukewarm (laughs) tag. Uh, Clothesline sick boy to the outside. Uh, Raven pulls Lodi into his... So this is, yeah, this is just another side of Raven just being a dick. So, like, um, uh, Johnny Grunge is doing his kind of, like, stampeding running splash into the corner where he doesn't even have the good grace to leave his feet, really. Uh, and as he's about three or four feet away, Raven ducks out of the way, and in doing so, also pulls Lodi into the path of Johnny Grunge. Now, Johnny Grunge was so close to Raven at this point that just ducking out of the way would have sufficed, but he had to pull Lodi, who was inexplicably in the ring beside him, in his way, uh, just to be a dick about it. Oh yeah, like it was harder for him to actually pull Lodi in the way than to just simply get out of the way. Yeah, but like we said, like Lodi gets an awful time every time yeah. he's out at ringside. 
Really does. Uh, Bulldog from Raven. Uh, he hangs up Rocco on the ropes. Uh, now Saturn is out and he bonks Raven with a baking tray. And I really had to pay very close attention because the baking tray flew off screen almost as soon as it entered the screen. <laughs> um, for me to identify what it was. Uh, Raven gets laid out on the table and Saturn hits an enormous splash off the top rope through the table. How picture perfect was this splash, my friend? Oh, fucking beautiful. Like, I, I know we, we were slagging the uh, camera work for, on the promo, but, like, mm. the camera work on this, like, the camera was right down on the ground looking up, and you see, like, you just see Saturn, like, kind of twisting. No, he doesn't, like, do a full-on twist, but he kind of turns in midair just to, to nail uh, Raven perfectly in the midsection. Ah, oh, just a gorgeous-looking splash. Couldn't have been any better. One thing, like, even with our, our, our niggles with uh, production in WCW, one thing that hasn't been pervasive in professional wrestling yet in 1998 is missing big spots mm. and moves in matches because uh, you're focused on some other bullshit. Crowd so reactions. Fucking... Yeah. That annoyed me so much during uh, Revolution on uh, Sunday when I watched. Oh, yeah. So many crowd reactions. Which seems to be just de rigueur in, in professional wrestling now. And then you've got the other kind of like the, the extra level of missing shit, which is the missing Edge's first spear <laughs> in the Royal Rumble. Yeah, it wasn't important. Or missing AJ Styles' debut because uh, you want to look at a gormless Roman Reigns. Wasn't important. A mistake they fucked up so badly that within a day, I think they had uploaded to YouTube the alternate angle. And edited it out of the, uh, I think it's on the network now that you actually see AJ's is it- entrance here. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Uh, so back in the ring now, and Grunge hits an absolutely horrendous back body drop on Sick Boy, who barely, it seems like until the last second, he didn't know or whether or not he was going to even try and go over on it. Uh, tagged to Rocco, they hit their finish known as the Tri-Fi uh, for the win. Uh, and something I put out a call for on the first time we did this, I am assuming Tri-Fi has something to do with Philadelphia. So if somebody could explain that to us two fucking mix over here on the program, <laughs> that would be much appreciated at yeah, WCW that, Thunder. Pod. That's not a term I have ever heard outside of this, outside of Thunder. Yeah. Um, our next match, Eddie Guerrero, yay, versus Hugh Morris, <laughs> aww, uh, with Jimmy Hart. Um, Hugh Morris, dominant early on. Um, and in another weird ref inconsistency on this show, he asks for a timeout and gets one. <laughs> Although I guess in the same week where Cody Rhodes asks a ref, could he hit MJF one more time with a leather strap? And the ref is like, oh, I saw nothing. <laughs> it's not really, I'm not really as enraged about it anymore. Well, I mean, that that just continues our theory that AEW is in fact thunder. Hmm. But, um, and when yeah. Raven turns, when Raven turns out to be exalted one, oh. we will be vindicated. The, the flock two point <laughs> um, um, But yeah, no, like ugh, fucking. I don't know if you realize this, Dave, because it was not mentioned at all. But did you right. know humorous? Sounds like humorous. Oh, Lee, this fucked me off. Look, so I, I actually went back and forth on this between whether it fucked me off or I actually found it pretty entertaining. So the commentary pronounces his name humorous every time. They don't call him Hugh Morris. They call him humorous because I don't think Bischoff in particular trusts the WCW fans to be able to get the incredibly subtle humor of Hugh Morris means humorous. 
Yeah, it's fucking. It, it's very much like you said the the Vince McMahon subtlety hammer on this one because the three of them just constantly refer to him as humorous. <laughs> yeah, but like we get it. <laughs> it's very easy, you know. The thing that is still the mystery, uh, something that proper gets on your nerves, are the the question marks on his gear. Yeah, why the question marks? He's not the fucking Riddler. <laughs> yeah. He's not Confucius, he's humorous. Is he confused by his own name? <laughs> Does he not Hugh get Morris. it? Hugh Morris hurt himself in confusion. <laughs> <laughs> um, is he like a man of mystery? Uh, I just, it, it's a fucking sweet mystery, my friend. Um, what do we got next? Uh, uh, so, yeah, the the crowd are chanting for Chavo as Eddie applies a hold here. Uh, Chavo chance in the middle of an Eddie match felt very to me, didn't they? Yeah, it's fucking weird, isn't it? Like, because he's so green and bad, and this character oh, thing is shite. Like, yeah, why are they chanting for him when he comes out during this match? It's just so fucking bad, and he at the end, he's the first one of the night that misses his spot, like very blatantly misses yeah. the, his cue, and he is not the last. No. Um, Morris hit, uh, humorous, hits a big gorilla press, followed by just one of the worst elbow drops I've ever seen. I, I've said it before on this program. I will say it again, Lee. How was this man in charge of WWE developmental for so long? He had to have pictures of Johnny Laurinaitis, didn't he? Yeah. Because oh, he's not even one of those. So, like, we talked to... Uh, to Alan on, on his program when we did our Thunder Buddies and Paradise crossover special mm. about the idea that has been floated before by people that maybe Fit Finley is overrated. Um, but just because he's, uh, I think as you said on the program, he's one of those guys who's a wrestler's wrestler. Yeah. He's known for being a good and safe hand in the ring. But like humor, humorous can't have that reputation. I mean, it doesn't look like it's an easy night at the office trying to wrestle this galoof. No, like, all he ever did was, like, beat up jobbers and hit people really fucking hard. Yeah. But, like, other than Uh, that, I don't think I've ever seen him have, like, a really good match. Maybe it's the hardcore Holly thing, where it's just, like, he was such an arsehole. People forgot, people just wouldn't tell him no, and he just stumbled upwards into developmental because of that. I mean, it's possible. Like, how how did this guy get kept on when people like Mark Jindrag and fucking Sean O'Hare and to such like never got a fucking real chance but fucking Hugh Morris got a fucking run as head of developmental are you saying Mark Jindrak former member of Evolution didn't get a good crack nah, that never happened <laughs> I'll actually I'll tell you what if you want an interesting look at history those ruthless aggression docs <laughs> my Man, giddy aunt I really wish I lived through that history because that's not the <laughs> one I lived through <laughs> oh god like I remember that like I would still have been for the first half of maybe the Ruthless Aggression era I was still watching Raw and Smackdown every week and fuck me like god are they trying to polish a turd with a lot of that stuff and I did look I I did like Evolution Mm. for the most part I thought it was during that period and I love by the way the kind of 
one of my favorite you know the way kind of retroactively people will give periods of wrestling history different names like attitude era ruthless aggression stuff like this one of my favorite things that the fan community has done is to retroactively refer to triple h's main event run on raw during that period as the reign of terror (laughs) and it's true but the only period of time during that reign of terror where i found him in any way compelling especially when compared to when he was just white hot in 2000 the only time i found him interesting was as part of evolution where i just thought the constituent elements of evolution that weren't him were entertaining yeah um he himself not so much with his handlebar mustache and his bicycle shorts yeah hardly race triple h from like 2002 2003 he wasn't good no, the epic feuds with Scott Steiner and uh, the never-ending Shawn Michaels feud, which the never-ending Shawn Michaels had a couple feud, of good matches, like, but you know, couple of really good matches for sure. Um, the horrendously racist uh, Booker T feud. <laughs> I had no idea what you're talking about. That wasn't mentioned on that show at all. <laughs> no, funny that, isn't it? But there actually is. Um, oh God, is that reliving wrestling? Uh, YouTube channel that does kind of video essays on angles and stuff like that has a big one about that. Oh, that really? I would oh, recommend. I check that out. Okay. It's really good. I think it's that one. I might tweet that one out are as they, well. If are I they remember. fair? And do they mention Triple H putting over Shelton Benjamin? You know. <laughs> oh man, there was another one. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I remember that was during his C. I put people over C. <laughs> Yeah, so that was during the period where, so for those of you who are from the States, I know we've gotten way off the WCW point, but this show sucked, so we're going to make some segues. Um, During this period of time, I would have been watching Raw on its second airing, which was Friday nights at 10pm as a a young teenager. But nothing better on a Friday night. No, at this stage, because I was like, I would have been like 12 or 13. You know, I was too young to be out illegally drinking um, <laughs> at, at that stage. But um, so I, I remember that like the, the Shelton Benjamin thing. And I remember being so like not just going, oh, yeah, here, here we go. Triple H just burying another dude. And then just like being so just flabbergasted that I, I dropped my glass of milk onto myself when he beat him. <laughs> What a memory. Floored, <laughs> floored by it, I was. Um, but yeah, back to Humorous, who sucks. Um, we had... Da, 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 da. Yeah, he... Uh, Eddie hits an impressive suplex on, on Humorous, because obviously Humorous isn't helping him out there. Uh, he goes up top, and uh, it's something you were alluding to just there earlier, Lee. Jimmy goes to hit Eddie with a steel chair, but he is eventually distracted when Chavo, who missed his cue completely, comes out singing. So what had happened here was he was going to swing the chair at Eddie. Obviously, Chavo was supposed to come out at that exact moment. But would you say like a good, I, I'd say nearly 20 seconds passes? Oh, yeah. Like um, Jimmy is down like at, on, the, uh, on, the gra- on the floor and Eddie is climbing up to hit the frog splash. And it's one of those cases where Jimmy is like, I'm going to hit you with the chair. And Eddie turns around and goes, Ah, I see you're going to hit me with the chair. Go on, hit me with the chair. And Jimmy's just like, I'm going to hit you with the chair. I'm going to hit you. And they're waiting oh, and just waiting. You, just you watch, I'm going to hit yeah. you. And it's just like, it's the most awkward thing. And you can even see the crowd in the background looking going, 
Okay, where's the guy that's supposed to come out? <laughs> yeah, and speaking of awkward, Chavo comes out and he's singing and Chavo was his name Oh, uh, Eddie comes oh. off the top rope, but it's reversed into a power slam, which in fairness, that looked pretty good. I, I do love the spot of a large guy catching small guy in an aerial move into like, into a power move. So that, that was pretty good. Uh, then uh, Humorous hits his shite moonsault for the win. Uh, which is called what the no laughing matter? No laughing matter because humor is getting a win. Nobody's laughing. No, nobody is laughing at all. Uh, Chavo comes in to apologize because he said Eddie was there for him at ice skating practice. That fucking Chavo bit is like proper go away heat for me. If this was 1998, I was watching this on TBS. I'm changing the channel. Yeah, I'm over this. This this is fucking. This is not good on rewatch at all. Um, I no. I did get a laugh out of Eddie calling uh, Chavo wacko. Yeah, and uh, Chavo just going like, "Who's this Waco guy you're talking about?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that was that. I'll give him that. I'll give him that. But overall, yeah, don't care for this. This needs to end. We need to get Eddie onto something uh, more entertaining. I, th- I think the most egregious part of the show is up next. Uh, yes, it is because it's the tease for WCW Saturday Night, where the only acts promoted for WCW Saturday Night are Mike Tenay and Scott Hudson. Disgusting. And I was disgusted at this because, you know, obviously it's not the ratings machine that Nitro is or that Thunder may be at this point. But WCW Saturday Night is like an august institution Mm -hmm. for World Championship Wrestling. It's been on the air donkey's years at this point. It's part of their selling point whenever they talk about it. And something I compared it to is, could you imagine, like, when WWE brought back Saturday Night's main event uh, about 10 years after this, a little less? And if they were like, yeah, Saturday Night's main event is back on NBC. JR and the King will be there. See you then. (laughs) No, instead, I think I was saying this before, like, I think Austin had his, like, first appearance in WWE in years they built it up as this big special. My God, we're back on Saturday night's main event. It's the biggest thing to happen in fucking 20 years and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then we have WCW gone. Ah, Saturday night wrestling. You know the thing. 605. Ah, fuck it. Who cares? The, uh, (laughs) it sucks because like, um, WWE obviously have a patchy history at best when it comes to how they honor Mm -hmm. their own history. But one thing you got to say for them is that when they do go in and go, right, we are going to honor our history the right way. They do a great job of it. Like the Saturday night's main event, like you Mm -hmm. talked about. Um, Or the other one I used to really love was when they did the retro Raws. Sometimes those were really good as well. They really did commit to the bit. Uh, Or I suppose the the absolute apex would have been the first one night stand. Yeah. Which was the perfect retro revival kind of show. Um, and even to to a campier extent, the uh, the Southpaw regional wrestling stuff. Yeah, I, I, that's some of the best stuff they've produced in the network era. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, I, I will say, uh, I, I tweeted this out last week, and it's something I only kind of realised late on in the day. Mm. AW Revolution, the graphics and stuff like that, like the, the uh, match graphics and the, the adverts for the show, Reminded yeah. me so much of Saturday Night. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. I had that I kind of like made that connection. industrial kind of like mid nineties graphic type stuff. Yeah. 
I tell you, it's one of the things that, you know, I, I hate to be such a sucker for nostalgia sometimes, but that's some of the stuff that really gets me for AEW. Um, and I, I think part of it is because it's a kind of nostalgia that hasn't been plumbed for everything it's worth mm-hmm. yet because WWE are great for mining their own nostalgia for all it's worth, but they don't seem ever to be enthusiastic about WCW nostalgia. Like, I, I think it's, it's such a weird slap in the face to a company they own and then killed 20 years ago. That Starcade they brought it back as a house show. Yeah, like, they, they used Great American Bash for about three years. Yeah. Um, oh, they were using that for a while because they were still doing that in, um, like, 2007, 2008 didn't, kind of time. Didn't I they think. change it to the Bash? They changed it then to the Bash, yeah. I think. But it was still... Maybe, maybe it was, it was longer still than three the, years. And, yeah. It was still the Bash era. It was still Great American Bash in 2007 anyway, I think. So they did get a few years out of it before they... But yeah, no, like, it's, it's so weird. Like, they own these trademarks. This is now yeah. their history to tell as they wish. Like, we're watching WCW on the WWE Network. Yeah. Look how long it took them to bring back fucking War Games. Uh, and how many years people wanted war mm-hmm. games in WWE and how many opportunities there would have been to do war games uh, over the years and, and it took them this long and they do it on NXT and one could cynically suggest that they're getting really into the war games thing now that there is a competitor uh, who is keen on WCW nostalgia um, but yeah, that's it. some of this like nostalgia when it's employed correctly is is a very useful tool. Mm-hmm. Case in point, another AEW thing: the the tease with Aaron Anderson and the cage door the other week oh, is some of the some of the little things they do like that or the the Jericho Malenko standoff a couple of months mm-hmm. ago. Oh my god, that kind of stuff, love it. And it didn't need any explanation. It was just like. They, no, they, they, the, they, peop, the people, the people who knew knew, yeah. and it wasn't so weird that people who didn't know would be confused. Exactly, it was just perfect. They didn't make yeah. like, like let it last too long. They just a subtle nod. Mm-hmm. That's all it needs to be. Uh, Conan and Sting are out. Sting is feeling in a, a really rambunctious mood this evening, uh, and I don't know. I've never heard any stories, Lee, about uh, whether. Uh, Sting enjoyed a liquid lunch from time to time. He seems to be one of the very few WCW because I know he is a man of a man of the Lord. I don't think he was at uh, this time. Uh, yeah, it didn't certainly didn't seem like it in this segment. That's for sure. Uh, if I were to guess, I would say that there was a, a lengthy afternoon Wolfpack meeting at a local bar um, I, before this. I was just going to say, I think uh, Sting wasn't just with Conan for this interview, shall we say? Yeah. He was feeling himself this mm-hmm. evening, and it was really weird. Um, he's mocking Giant, saying Big Sexy will drop him on his head again. Oh, yeah, remember the power bomb? Uh, he agrees he's going to put the belts on the line, and his partner for tonight is Lex Luger. But he's saying all this, and Lee, where are the fucking belts? Like, it's another, like, if you're the tag team champion, have the fucking belts. For fuck's sake. Like, I know Nash isn't there. Have Sting come out with both of them. You know? Oh, it's just... It oh, it really gets on my nerves. Like, was it, it wasn't that long ago that we had 
Nash and Hall coming out with two sets of tag belts. Yeah. And now we've, we're down to none. Yeah. <laughs> it's like OTT. Uh, yeah. Awful promo because Sting is like, seems to be half cut and he's stumbling all over himself as he's speaking. Even though he's showing more personality than he obviously was as the crow, he's clearly. Like, part of me was like, well, maybe he hadn't imbibed and it's a thing where the crow was so stoic that now he feels he needs to make Wolfpack Sting seem a bit different. So he's going way the other way. Overly animated. Yeah, yeah. Kind of overcompensating. But, um, God, this promo was shite. That was awful. I I, I will say, I will give credit to the man. Conan has only just started doing his uh, shtick, shall we say. Yeah. And it's already incredibly over. Yeah, I mean, he came in, hit his promo high spots, and just handed off to Sting and took no responsibility for what followed. It's what a worker. <laughs> um, Shivani is here next, and he's talking about uh, Stevie Ray beating down Benoit uh, and being saved by Mongo, and then making the Horseman sign. And they have selected one Detective Iron Mike Tanay to be on this case as to what's happening with the horseman and if there is any man you could trust to get to the bottom of it Lee it's the man who could not identify the yellow and red Dodge Viper as belonging to Mr. H. Hogan well I mean in the history of Thunder we've only ever had one crack detective I mean he's yet Mm. to solve a case but he keeps trying (laughs) he's yet to fail at a case either they're all still open investigations (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he's a dog with a bone in as much as every five minutes he forget where he buried it (laughs) and I have to say he doesn't back down easily does he oh no except immediately (laughs) Uh, as Tanae is backstage where Benoit and Aaron are there Aaron tells him to go away and he does an absolutely brilliant detective (laughs) a much better detective than Mike Tanae is the cameraman who decides hey I've got a camera and a boom mic presumably so I'm just going to pretend to walk around the corner and keep filming the lads here. So Benoit said he never stopped being a horseman to Arn, and he's clearly trying to convince Arn to rejoin the horseman. I think to restart more than rejoin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it, yeah, because they're not... They're, the horsemen aren't technically in existence at this point. Mm. A revival would probably be the yeah the better kind of word. Um, and then they spot the camera and run them off again. Uh, next match, we have the, the Thunder debut in singles action of Stevie Ray as he takes on Sumo Fuji, Dragon Gate alumnus. I think Dragon Gate legend. Yes, Don Fuji. Indeed. Did, were, um, were you aware who this was when he came out? Right, so I know, I, I, I wouldn't profess to be a big Dragon Gate guy, mm. but I know the name Don Fuji. And something about Sumo Fuji and then my assumption that there was an Ultimo Dragon connection made me Google to make sure. And yes, it is the same guy. Yeah, I, I'm very much in the same boat. I've never been a big DG watcher. And yeah. I, I not, remember... Not for lack of entertainment, just like there are only so many hours in the day. Oh, exactly. Um, I've got thunder to watch. Fucking love me our lives. <laughs> Like this, let's talk about this fucking episode for a second time. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Stevie Ray, huh? What a worker. Yeah. Oh my god. This was just like the world's most boring squash match. He's, uh, 
he's just beating him down. It's real tepid shit. Uh, I suppose like he's at least making good contribution to the ongoing thing between him and Booker where he's trying to toughen Booker up so every time he's hitting a, a, a big move on Sumo Fuji here he's jaw jacking down the camera about how Booker should be like this have the intensity that they learned coming up in Harlem on 110th Street uh, then he hits what is identified for the first time on this program as the Slapjack for the win uh, and the one little bit of character work I really enjoyed in this match was that as he pinned him, the ultimate sign of disrespect just put the knee mm-hmm. in the throat as he pinned him. Um, I I have that thought just as you were called you know, talking about the match there. Yeah, this is the beginning of the Stevie Booker feud. Yeah, this feud would go on for two years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this feud had only ended. Shortly before this show got cut off from broadcast over here. Yeah, let just think about that. We have now got this feud for the next six years of our lives. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> Making me feel real good about myself. But, I mean, if Stevie Ray ever wants to come on the show and talk about it, we'll gladly have him on. I'd love to. Speaking of people, actually, that's something that happened since our last show. Uh, getting to interact with legends of the game, uh, David Arquette and Scotty Riggs on Twitter. <laughs> through the, the hustle of Stagger Lee Malone. Oh yeah, uh, I tell you, I'm nothing if not a, a shameless plugger of any yeah. act that I will find on Twitter. Um, An absolute publicity whore, oh, yeah. I love you for it. And I mean, if it leads to uh, Mr. Arquette coming on this show to talk about his title victory... I will take a victory lap for that one. We have got like five and a half years to get it done, which requires us to not go insane and David Arquette to stay alive. But we really, more than anything, and it's why Lee tweeted it, we wanted to speak it into existence. If we can get David Arquette on to have a little chat on a podcast about his win of the WCW title, which took place on Thunder... I think it would be a major bucket list item that as an 11 year old going what? I want when he won the belt I never thought do you know I what I want for do you know what I want for that episode? I want us to be able to sit down and watch the episode with him. Oh, I I think that that uh, look, I would love that. Like the whole episode and him just giving us his thoughts, like what he was just doing the, that day, like at, as that as at, the certain at, matches were going on and at the palatial Arquette estate. Oh, I don't care where it is. It can be in a fucking IHOP somewhere. I don't care. Look, yeah. all I want is to be able to chat to the man over Skype or whatever. And I want to be able to chat to him about it. I'd love to pick his brains on it. And I would also really love for him to relay to me the conversation he had with Kurt Russell. Uh, because they were doing that Graceland movie when he won the, the title. And they filmed a skit, I think it was on the Thunder, he won the belt, where it was David Arquette, his wife at the time, Courtney Cox Arquette, and fucking Kurt Russell (laughs) hanging out on set, talking about him going, him being the WCW champion. Oh, so it must have been Slamboree then. Yeah, I think that was Slamboree, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Kurt Russell with WCW champion David Arquette. I I want to hear it. Um... Incredible scenes. Um, but, Lee, if Stevie Ray was the absolute nadir, nadir of the program, thank God, because Chris Jericho is here. 
our lord and saviour our former Le Champion yeah oh pour one out for Le Champion um immediately within seconds the the level of charisma on this program has gone through the roof uh he takes a sign he tears up a sign he takes the mic immediately says don't mess with me penzer uh he says i want you to want me and it dramatically takes a knee in the middle of the ring and i am just i'm sitting back and i'm in, i am loving life at this point lee um he says not only is he the greatest cruiserweight champion of all time He's the greatest legal eagle of all time. <laughs> he said he will defend the belt within 30 days as he's required, but not against Dean Malenko. As you may remember, the Ed the Strangler Lewis loophole allows him to do this. Uh, the man he refers to as Jojo Dillon then shows up and he says, in a, in a great back and forth, uh, JJ says, uh, you spent your time scouring the cat- catacombs. And Jericho goes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> Awfully proud of himself. Uh, Oh, so proud of himself for all that research he did. JJ said the executive committee can change the rules as the situation warrants. So uh, at the pay-per-view, he will be defending against Dean Malenko. And Jericho freaks the fuck out at this news. uh, Leading into the Jericho versus Ultimo Dragon match, which very excited to see Mm -hmm. these two boys go at it again. Um, in one of, I think, Lee, and this is why I'm glad Stagger Lee was back this week, if for nothing else, only this bit here. I think one of the greatest bits of rationalization I've ever heard to try and explain a wacky WCW decision. So we've documented, Lee, on the program that there are many wild and wonderful rule changes that happen in this company seemingly for no reason that just get abandoned all of a sudden and people just stop talking about it right so we've had in years past we've had the no top rope rule uh we had during the first few months of this program we've had the no jackknife powerbomb stuff mm-hmm. that seems to be gone now um but what happens here is stagger lee takes it on himself to explain why these things are happening so what he says is when rules make no sense anymore and only serve to kind of um, work for one particular guy as opposed to the roster and the fans, they need to change. And that's when the WCW executive committee leaps into action. The loophole, he said, the Ed the Strangler Lewis loophole, at this point was kind of being weaponized. It existed only to protect Jericho. And that's why they changed it, because it was kind of hobbling the division that Jericho was using it as a cudgel to keep people away that might beat him for the title. Um, So yeah, I thought that was just an excellent bit of, hey, this is why we're doing this. It's not just because WCW. It's a great bit of logic on a show that's generally very illogical. And Marshall probably put more thought into that couple of lines than anyone on the booking team put into why it was happening. Yeah, because I know, like there's literally never any like continuity or follow up to it. Yeah, um, this was a really back and forth match that I enjoyed mm-hmm. quite a lot. Um, some really clever reversals and holds in here, and it was wrestled at a decent clip. Uh, very clever stuff altogether. Uh, Jericho at one point goes for his Cape of the Lion Salt, um, eats a drop kick, and uh, in one of our favorite uh, moves in professional wrestling, Lee, uh, Ultimate Dragon hits the Asai Moonsault into the Dragon Sleeper. Love it. Love it. Uh, Jericho escapes, he eats a kick for his troubles. 
he attempts his triangle crossbody mm-hmm. to the outside. Dragon ducks and hits his acai moonsault to the outside. They get back in the ring. There's pinning combinations. Uh, Jericho eventually gets the lion tamer in. Dragon gets to the rope. Dragon with a kicking combination and some great chops that just lit up Jericho's chest. Uh, at one point, Je- uh, Dragon comes screaming out of the corner towards Jericho. Uh, and Jericho reverses into a into a power slam that would make Randy Orton look like he's moving in treacle by comparison. Um, Jericho goes for a suplex uh, and he yells into the camera, come on, Malenko, this is for your dead daddy. Uh, and it's reversed immediately into a dragon sleeper, uh, at which point a, a man hits the ring, <laughs> a man identified as Dean Malenko uh, for the DQ. And holy shit, Please, please lay out for the Thunder Buddies, Lee. How was young Dean Malenko dressed this evening? Oh, it's very simple. Dean Malenko is wearing Daisy Dukes. Yeah. Very, very tight Daisy Dukes. (laughs) Somewhere, like, not... They're about as long as the Cena jorts, almost. But they are much tighter. Not the the tightness of, say, the infamous Ahmed Johnson Daisy Dukes photo. No. But but not a million miles off. Yeah. Do you know what, what just came into my head? It's kind of like um, the construction worker from the village people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a weird look going on here. And, and, it, and just gonna say, it, it's that very, like, stonewashed denim that was big in yeah. the 90s. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's a very strange look for a guy that you consider to be one of the best technical wrestlers in the world. Yeah. Bizarre juxtaposition. Dragon is livid, Jericho bails, and Malenko follows after him. I really like this match, Lee, uh, until the finish, but I, I get why mm. the finish had to happen this way. Yeah, and hopefully it leads to a Malenko-Dragon match down the line. Would love that. Um, uh, one other thing is, I have to mention Ultimo's gorgeous gear. Oh, a man who absolutely put the effort mm-hmm. into the, the the nice some of the nicest ring gear consistently on this program. I, I think this will be a new bit where we uh, ask, what kit does the wrestler look like? Now, obviously, you know the answer to this one because I gave it to you on the last show. Or the, the yeah, first recording. But uh, Ultimo Dragon is the Belgian away kit. Yeah, he's absolutely, yeah. The yellow and black. 100%. Gorgeous. Can't do any can't do any better than that. Uh, our next segment, Eric Bischoff, is out for what I think proves to be the weirdest segment of this show. Uh, he says, thank you all very much, especially that guy over there who painted himself green. I love when that happens, uh, which implies to me that there is some sort of epidemic of people painting themselves green and getting shirtless at Thunder shows, which really somebody should be looking into. Um, <laughs> he, he said, it's not unusual to be surrounded by stars in the NWO. But he's here to introduce a star who refused to work with Harrison Ford in his new movie because the budget wasn't big enough. It's White Thunder himself, Scott Steiner, in the world's largest dinner jacket to try and cover his peaks. I thank God every day they dropped White Thunder. <laughs> I'd say Scott Steiner himself thanks God every day that they dropped White Thunder. That's a NWO, NWA superstar, Scott Steiner, by the way. Indeed. Um... They, in the in the process of talking to Scott Steiner, they basically like are sitting here on the ramp doing a, an inside the actor's studio kind of thing. Uh, R.I.P. James Lipton, by the way. Um, and they reference Carl Weathers, star of Arrested Development and Predator, uh, as calling him a, a great thespian. 
Um, and this is, I, I believe, Lee, a, a reference to a, a segment that took place on Nitro a few weeks previously, where uh, Steiner was hanging out with Hogan on the uh, on on set. And what was the name of the movie? Oh, um, I had it when we did it the the first time, but um, I, I maybe I'll think of it later. But yeah, there's there's some sort of interaction between Carl Weathers and Scott Steiner that I know we don't do context mm-hmm. with uh with with Nitro, but. I really need somebody to send me if this exists kind of like cropped out of the episode. I don't watch a full episode of Nitro just to see this skit. But I kind of need to see Carl Weathers having a chat. Was it Assault on Devil's Island? Yes, it was, yeah. That's the one. Um, And then in, I suppose, one of the most timely 90s... uh, pin-up girl names you could drop at the time uh he said that shannon tweed gave him his per- her personal phone number uh which yeah really really dates this um but bischoff wants to know what it was like for scott carrying his brother for so long uh he compares himself to in an absolutely enormous shout for scott steiner <laughs> compares himself to clark gable john wayne and arnold schwarzenegger in as much as they all had brothers and you didn't see them with their brothers in movies. Now, from my Googling, uh, near as I could tell, only two of those three men, John Wayne and Arnold, have brothers. Uh, Clark Gable could not find conclusive information one way or the other. I think he was just saying things, to be honest. Well, um, I think we established that uh, Chad Gable is in fact related to Clark Gable. Yeah, canonically, I, w- I will have that. Um, I, 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 I will officially put that into the into the Days of Thunder canon right there and then. Um, I'll use my big veto on that. Um, nice callback. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, he tells Ricky that he needs to sit at home with his sit at home with his injury and watch on while his career soars in L.A. where the girls call him Big Popalicious, <laughs> which was harrowing. <laughs> Uh, and then the segment finishes off with Bishop uh, Bishop uh, asking for another shot of the green guy and and some woman in the crowd as well. Uh, and Brain asks of the green man when they show him again if he's a leper. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Uh, what an awful segment. Awful segment. And then we get a weird segment where DDP, who apparently wasn't arsed showing up on Thunder... Um, is on the phone to the lads. And as this phone call starts, Lee, for the third time in recent history, somebody throws something at the commentary team. Okay, I missed this again, so you're going to have to explain this one. So it's like right as they start talking to DDP on the phone and something cracks off the desk and bounces off in between Brain and Tony. And this is worth watching back, not only so that you can see that you definitely did miss it, and I'm not imagining it, but right after it happens... There is an amazing moment of wordless comedy between the three commentators. There's a very subtle moment between Brain and Tony where Tony kind of cranes his head around going, did you just fucking see that? And Heenan is kind of looking back with a look that says, yeah, I fucking did. We're live. Be cool. (laughs) And then all the while on the other end of the commentary, Mike Tanay has absolutely no idea what's going on. It is fabulous stuff altogether and is way better than this segment turns out to be. Oblivious Mike Tanay is obviously the best Mike Tanay. Oh, completely. Um, 
DDP would love to be in the O arena tonight, he says, but he and the big man, presumably referring to Carl Malone, are getting the big rig ready in Salt Lake City and they're coming to Tampa for Nitro on Monday. They're bringing something real special for Hogan and his pals. Uh, a highlight of the segment was when he called Rodman a pencil neck geek freak. And uh, my understanding from this promo, uh, Lee, is that DDP has basically filled an 18-wheeler with steel chairs because apparently Salt Lake City must be the steel chair capital of the United States and they're coming to Nitro. I mean, just how many steel chairs do you think you could fit in an 18-wheeler? I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll find out when they show us video packages from Nitro. Um, I, I really hope they drive the 18-wheeler into the arena. <laughs> And just op- uh, open right the doors out. and just steel chairs fall everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> just pouring out. It's like that ECW segment with the public enemy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I died at a bit of banter that happens right after this between Brain and Tony where Tony says, uh, oh, Brain, uh, uh, Brain says something about... Uh, I think he says something about trucks and Tony says, oh, you must be an experienced trucker. And Hina goes, what'd you call me? <laughs> uh, just good stuff. Uh, next, we are subjected to another circle of hell. Barbarian versus Jim Duggan. No, I'm not talking about this God, much. No, it's awful. God, all fucking mighty. The world's smallest parade, as Brain calls Duggan here. Um, uh, one of the things I hate the most about Jim Duggan, apart from everything, I'm sure he's a nice man. Well, I mean, he screamed um, ho for 20 years. Like, Well, this is it. Uh as he's doing moves, he's screaming, ho. I, I, I just, it's really off-putting. It's almost as off-putting as, like, say, for example, a neck tattoo on Cody Rhodes. Oh, you had to mention it, didn't you? I had to. I can't not. I can't stop thinking he's about no it. He's no longer my ace. Oh, my God. Yeah, not my ace, indeed. Um, he clotheslines uh, Duggan, not Cody, clotheslines Barbarian <laughs> to the outside and uh, takes control of the match. Like, here's the weird dichotomy of, like, the kind of, you know, we talked about nostalgia being kind of weaponized for good earlier in the show. But this is kind of the time where people go on autopilot and just get the, you know, you get the nostalgia pop for the old guys people remember. Because I think without question, Jim Duggan sucks. But he is over as hell in the O-Ring. Yeah, like, Jim Duggan is the first example of the nostalgia pop for me. Because yeah. I don't think this guy ever did anything of note after, what, 1991, 1990, maybe? And that might be generous. And, like, he is crazy over everywhere he goes. And I think it's just because people want to chant USA and scream ho. Yeah. yeah. And they got to do that during this. Uh, Barb blocks a back body drops attempt and goes to work on Duggan. The two eventually bonk into each other rather awkwardly off an Irish whip. Uh, humorous out because we already haven't had enough of him he comes out with a gigant- the gigantic 2x4 uh, he distracts the ref but in the first and last time you'll hear me say this Duggan was the quicker man managed to drop Barb uh, and hit his old glory knee drop for the win um, and I think the only thing that made this whole segment worth it was that during his victory Tony Schiavone referred to him as the hacker so as we concluded, it is in fact Jim Duggan who is behind these new videos on uh, on Raw. Oh, and so, yeah, on uh, yeah, they they showed we were talking about the the weird hacking into yeah. SmackDown. Or SmackDown, videos. sorry. Have you seen, yeah. yeah, have you seen them since I I told you? I about haven't. Them? 
Oh, yeah. They're odd as fuck. And I have no... Because I, I haven't been reading reading my newsletters or anything like that, so I don't know who it's even supposed to be, or if anyone knows who it's supposed to my be. My guess is, like, Killer Cross. I hope... I, I have heard that guy was supposed to be skipping uh, developmental. Well, I mean, he's, so. he's tall and he has a hot girlfriend, so I'm assuming Vince, Vince yeah. is all over him. Vince just sees dollar signs for now, yeah. That's, that's possible. Um, camera's now backstage, and we see, in a really clever bit... Jericho telling Dragon that it was Malenko that screwed him, that he should ask JJ for the title match at the pay-per-view, and then Malenko comes running after Jericho again, who runs away. So this is cool, trying to stir up tension between Ultimo Dragon and Dean Malenko to distract from the fact that he's the one that wants to keep the belt. Um, Next up, we had, Jesus, what an odd, odd match this was. Uh, Mongo and Benoit, the four horsemen, but not the four horsemen, Against Disco and Alex Wright, uh, the Dancing Fools. I tell you what, Disco and Alex Wright are the better team in this one. Uh, yeah, well, anything, to anything be fair, that yeah. involves Mongo isn't a better team. My God, you are not wrong there, my friend. Benoit runs wild on both guys earlier, and Mongo comes in to clear the ring in slow motion as we go to our first commercial break in this match. Uh, we come back, and Benoit is in the middle of lighting up Disco's chest, which I would have liked to have seen more of. Um, you can tell that the four horsemen thing is starting to work to a degree because the crowd are already chanting we want flair so it's not necessarily achieving and getting benoit and mongo moreover but the act presume uh presumably involving rick flair soon for these fans yeah, they, they, they know uh, where it's going yeah uh, and that's cool because again it's something that's kind of um often said by older heads in the business is that some of the best payoffs to storylines are ones you can absolutely see coming. Oh yeah, it makes most sense. It doesn't need to be a surprise, yeah. you know? Um, so Mongo comes in for a little, thankfully not for long, goes back to Benoit, who is kind of, he ha- he leads most of this match, thank God. Uh, he goes for a cross face, uh, right, so, okay. <laughs> this is the worst, the, oh. This is the worst Mongo spot I've seen, and this solidifies Mongo as being the very worst wrestler in the company, probably. Um, so, uh, yeah, Benoit goes for crossface on Disco, and Alex Wright comes in to break it up. Mongo comes in to try and even the score, but it very quickly seems like it wasn't in the plan for Mongo to come in, and Mongo missed the cue for when he was supposed to come in. The submission is already broken up. So Mongo just stands around really awkwardly. He eats a kick to the gut a little bit and then calmly walks out of the ring again. Dog shit. He's awful. He's fucking awful. And that, like, you can't do justice to just how bad that whole interaction was. Oh, it was so... And the camera cuts off some of it. But, oh, not nearly enough. And... Even Heenan is like, he calls a spade a spade here. Kind of like, you know, Jim Ross when he had integrity where he'd have his kind of own ways of burying matches uh, to the crowd so that you'd know he he was somebody that you could trust. Uh, So he just said uh, of Mongo that he looks like he's standing at the water cooler. Uh, Tony calls the men the dancing duo who are are now taking control in the match. Uh, It was about four seconds, rightly. So they had the heat. Uh, on Benoit and about four seconds before it happened I had this feeling in the pit of my stomach and do you know what it was? 
What was it? It was remembering that this means Mongo is the hot tag. <laughs> uh, yeah. He comes in. And you know the way normally when someone comes in the hot tag, you say they come in like a house of fire. Mongo came in like a house of shit. <laughs> and then proceeded to be shit. And horrendous. And any other adjective you can think of. He hits this thing, right? He comes off the ropes and he hits what looks like, you know when Cena does that double five-knuckle shuffle that looks somehow more than twice as bad as a normal five-knuckle shuffle? He hits that where the the forearms go up like that and he, he drops down on them, except the two men are standing and they bend over so he can hit them in the small of the back with it. It looks Oh my god! He's like um, then, a rock'em sock'em robot, where he just has the the stiff arm going up and down. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. all he can do. Then he hits the worst double A spinebuster that has ever been hit by any man alive, um, and ma- compounded by the fact that it was so bad that Tony Schiavone just called it a sidewalk. He refused to call it a spinebuster. Yeah, yeah, I would have too. No spines were busted in the the completion of that move, if you could even call it complete. Uh, he mercifully tags to Benoit who hits the diving headbutt the crossface and gets the submission thank, thank god these two do not go on to become the tag team and the horsemen yes very very thankfully next up Lee you got your main event and what makes this main event with feck all build even worse Michael Buffer is here to steal a fucking living again. I, I said it before. I'll say it again. Fuck Michael Buffer. He is awful. He's awful. And this is like, it's so disingenuous. So I was talking earlier in the show about how I wish they would value their main events, value their championships. And having Michael Buffer in for this is just, you're trying to like you're trying to close the gate after the horse is bolted here you've already gotten to the main event and it has no steam mm-hmm. to it now you're trying to bring in the big famous announcer guy to put like a sheen of importance over it that it doesn't fucking have and not only that but like i i can't remember what his per show appearance rate was but you spent an enormous sum of money on a guy who wasn't very good yeah like he wasn't familiar with the wrestlers at all he he, he just doesn't feel like a wrestling announcer. Like, did you see Gary Michael Capetta on Dynamite last week? Doing the way Yes, in? I did. And his his interaction with Chris Jericho is one of my favourite things. Like, there you go. There's a guy mm. that, like, was easily available. Yeah. But even fucking Penzer. Like, Penzer's a really good announcer. Like, I know kind of people rag on him for his, his intonation of whenever yeah. he introduces anybody. But it still feels like an announcer. You know what I mean? The Fink over on the other the other program, proper like, fucking like announcer. Like we said, like WWF would roll out the Fink and it felt fucking huge, like Yeah. Uh, and like he's And yeah. just like WCW are bringing in fucking Michael Buffer for whatever yeah. like stupid money. Who is not even the best announcer in his oh, family. Yeah, fucking it's so oh, just so bad and annoys me more than it should. Buffer says Brian Adams, who is here. Uh, so the match is Giant and Brian Adams versus Sting and Lex. Um, 
Buffer says that Brian Adams is the self-proclaimed Mac Daddy of the NWO. Harrowing. Uh, at the start of his match, Giant fails to light a cigarette, but as it's a sting match, he is legally obligated to attack him before the bell rings. Thankfully, he wasn't wearing the duster this evening, so he uh, he he didn't get tied up in his own fucking jacket yet again. <laughs> it's a great trope. It's it's a trope. I'll, tell, I'll give you that. It's one we can you can set your watch to it. Um, Luger comes in early on, and much as we're kind of ragging on this match, Luger comes in and they close line giant to the outside, and it got it got a massive reaction. This I, I tell you what, what did he cover Luger wrestling in his jeans and and vest? Oh, Luger doesn't give a shite anymore. He just doesn't care. Like, like. No, I think like this uh, this whole Wolfpack thing is like I think the the common. The common denominator for people to have successful job applications for the Wolfpack is just being slightly over the whole wrestling thing and you're just coming out to dick about with the lads. Uh, that seems to be just a thing running right throughout the Wolfpack. And fair play to them, they're making bank while they're doing it. Um, so Giant gets Sting in the corner, uh, who tries to fire up but eats a clothesline. Uh, giant mocks Luger as he drops an elbow but then he taunted for too long before he made the second elbow attempt and misses uh, you get a hot tag uh, Luger comes in like a house of fire not like a house of shit but uh, Brian Adams is ugh. so like one of the things for the hot tag the very basic thing you need to do and it's right up there but not to reference Cody uh, but it reminded me of Cody's uh, post cage match thing where he tells the story about Dusty saying you know don't steal another man's pop but like another cardinal sin in professional wrestling is like you don't ruin a man's hot mm-hmm. tag because it's like they've been waiting for the hot tag for the whole match and this is their big spot in the match to shine and Brian Adams looks like absolute shit bumping and feeding in slow motion for Lex here and completely takes the momentum out of his comeback oh yeah he, he, um, he killed the match like it's just yeah. dead he gets Adams up for the torture rack and as Giant eats one of uh, Sting's uh, scorpion death drops uh, Brian Adams taps out uh, for the win for the lads uh, Hennigan Rue this is another kind of like obviously they didn't miss their cue but it seems like they come out here to interfere after they could have had any effect on the outcome of the match, which felt a little bit weird in storyline. We were trying to wonder why did they not come out like 15 seconds earlier. Do, do you think they are playing the long game and setting up Henning and Rude for a tag title show? I don't know. Like, um, what was, may- was Rude cleared? I'm not sure. Like, I, I, I've always sure. heard things like Rude was trying to come back and stuff like that before his yeah. death so i can imagine he was i don't think he was a man who um would be content just for his the role he was in so right? i'm wondering whether he trying to long game getting to rude and henning versus staying and nash not a bad show it makes more sense than them just coming out for the fuck of it like um but they attack sting anyway uh, Conan is out to help, but the black and white outnumber the wolf pack and lay them out. Uh, then we close the show with uh, a promo for the big face-off between Carmelone and DDP and Hogan and Rodman. Uh, and we finally get little tiny bits uh, from the super-secret press conference. Um, the one thing I will say, and he's a man who is over as hell and they've built him largely very well, 
they did DDP no favours in this little video package because as part of it, they show the attack he suffered with the steel chairs from Nitro a couple of weeks ago. And they showed his cell of one of the steel chair shots in slow motion and it looked comical. Yeah, this this was not the way you build up like uh, one of your main eventers coming into a big pay-per-view. Like, it's fucking... Like, the whole promo package itself is just fucking... It's awful. Yeah, it's weird, like, the hit rate they have. Like, about half their video packages are, like, really good stuff. Like, the Goldberg one Mm -hmm. obviously stands out, like, a mile. And then you get these ones that are just all over the place. And it's like they chopped a a bunch of film, threw it in the air, and whatever way it landed, that's how they taped it together. Like, the fucking Donnie Darko of video packages or some shit. Um... What did you think of this main event, Lee? Uh, before we wrap, the main up? event was trash. It was fucking. It didn't need to happen. It just didn't. Like it yeah. accomplished nothing. I would have liked, obviously, quite selfishly, if Jericho Ultimo was the main event and got like six or eight more minutes. Ah, oh, like perfect. Like not. Yeah. Th- this is now. Maybe maybe it's hindsight and all, but mm. they didn't need to put these mega matches on on thunder no like they felt the need that they had to have nwo versus nwo on the show like in the main event so you imagine this comes from the whole bischoff paranoia of like he's so obsessed with keeping that gap Mm -hmm. between um them and and raw uh that like he just they burned through so many matches between nitro and thunder to try and pop yeah. ratings and then there's nothing left to build for pay-per-view anymore. and I'm sure it's like it's very difficult in the moment to say well look we're going to put these kind of like lower card guys in the main event but I mean mm. that's how you build up titles that's how that's how fans come to see these guys as main eventers like like why, yeah. why couldn't have Booker T and Chris Benoit have gone 20 minutes in the main event for the TV title yeah, yeah. Like, it's funny because, you know, on one hand, it's like, oh, God, we're so afraid of, of like, people tuning out if we don't have the NWO on the show and in a prominent position. But at the same time, the biggest rising star in the company is Bill Goldberg, mm-hmm. who was nowhere to be found on and the just... show. And he he's the guy I'd be wanting on my thunder way before any of those dudes. Yeah, like, event. he could have been in a segment three minutes, bang, in, out, crowd is fucking delighted. The rest of the show doesn't matter. Yeah, just have him in the main event baiting the shite out of Glacier again or something like that and the crowd would have gone mm-hmm. home happy. But, oh, what can you do? Anyway, before we wrap up here on a, another episode of Days of Thunder, we have the finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga. On this week's episode of Thunder, we had seven matches, three with a clean finish, one DQ or countout, and three matches with interference leading directly to a finish. So our numbers of clean finishes per show are ticking down slightly. So, uh, I'm sure it's only going to get yeah, smaller and smaller. Yeah, a harbinger of things to come. Uh, Lee, give me your your winner and loser of Thunder 22. Uh, God, it's fucking hard, isn't it? Like... Mm. Like, there's no standout winner on the show. Like, it. Yeah. You feel like, again, like we say, it, it's kind of hackneyed to give it to Jericho. So, like, I might be tempted to lean towards Ultimate Dragon. Yeah. Like, but even then, 
I don't know. Yeah, <sighs> it's it's a reach. He had a good match, and he's at least temporarily being brought into this good angle with Jericho and and Malenko. But yeah, other than that, like it's it's a very there was a lot of shit on the show. Like in, in all honesty, like yeah. like you, you, it's part of what was a real pain about having to do this show twice. Like much as we're glad to talk to you, Thunder Buddies, and much as me and Lee enjoy talking to each other. The show wasn't bad enough for us to get, like, go completely off on one about it. And it wasn't good enough to enjoy watching, let alone talking about for a combined, mm. you know, three, three and a half hours this day, now at yeah. this point between two recordings. Well, well, I'll tell you what, do you know who the winner of the show is? Bobby Heaton. Who? Yeah, another good night in County Room. I thought you were going to say us because we managed to survive it twice. Well, I we still haven't finished yet, so... Yeah, I know. Yeah, the computer could go any second there. Um, but yeah, no, Heenan, Heenan had a couple of good lines on the show, and to be honest, there's no one else in contention for me. No, no, you're dead right. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for uh, episode 22, part two <laughs> of Days of Thunder. We really appreciate everybody being patient with us during the week where we missed. I think anybody that's familiar with with me on Twitter and notices the time these shows come out at, um, I can't fucking abide missing a deadline for a podcast. I know it's part of our kind of social contract with you, the listener, that you've come to expect certain Mm -hmm. standards of us and that our show comes out on time. And Lee will tell you, I was absolutely beside myself, not just because we'd have to record the show again, but because we let you guys down by not releasing the show on time. I tried everything I could, as Lee will also tell you. I think I was up to like three o'clock that morning trying to recover the file. Uh, Just couldn't get it done. Um, So we apologize for that. Hopefully it won't happen again anytime soon, or at least if it does, it will be on a show that's we're more enthusiastic about talking about and, it. And to be clear, it was all day's fault. <laughs> <laughs> but it, Thanks, but in all seriousness, no, they, look, Dave yeah. did all he could to try and recover the file. Um, look, shit is going to happen sometimes. We will try. It was just a matter of the week that was in it. We just couldn't reschedule until now. Yeah, um, that's, that's the thing. Like, normally we give ourselves a couple of days in between when we record and when I have to send the show to PWO. That gives me plenty of time to edit or to do a re- re-record if something goes wrong. Unfortunately, this was a week where last minute. Lee yeah. was working and I also, like, in the lead-up to going to Carrot, I have a lot of things to square away for work as well, so we just couldn't get it out that week. Like literally there was not another there was the only window that entire week that the two of us had at the same time so of course like Murphy's Law that was going to be the one time that it, the thing fucked up Um, but yeah look we'll uh, we'll be back stronger we'll make sure that we, we hit that commitment uh, as often as we can but I think missing one out of 25 plus mm-hmm. episodes of this podcast isn't isn't too bad and we still got the episode out within a week so Fair play to us. <laughs> and thank thank you to everybody, the Thunder Buddies, for being patient and understanding with us. I actually didn't get one. I was kind of expecting, not that I, I, I think the Thunder Buddies would be angry, but I think, you know, when people look forward to a podcast or something like that, I, I, I was expecting like an annoyed tweet or two here or there, but everybody was incredibly supportive and positive when I was 
having a proper freak out about it to Lee in the DMs. <laughs> so so thanks everyone for that. It made me feel a lot better. And that's why I really, really love this community and hearing back from you uh, as often as you uh, you want to chat to us. We'll always be here for you. Um, so yeah, uh, at WCW Thunderpod is the Twitter account to keep up to date with us. Uh, we, we chat about this and that. Sometimes Lee takes it upon himself to subject himself to a SmackDown or a WWE <laughs> show and is tweeting from it. Um, that, 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 that's more indiv- a lack of sleep that's what that is <laughs> yeah yeah uh individually i'm at the day to dave and lee is at malone underscore 713 we'll be back fingers fucking crossed in two weeks with another episode of days of thunder be good to each other we shall see and, you and soon. everyone at david arquette to come on the show <laughs> yeah dave we we want to we want to have you on here it'll be daves of thunder for one week only <laughs> me, me lee and david arquette uh We'll see y'all soon. It's good luck. In your heart. I can see through the scars inside you. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside.